everybody, welcome back to the Behind the Wealth Podcast. It's your host, Roger Abel. I'm here with Elias Randall. This is our Thanksgiving Day episode. Probably the first one that's actually aired on Thanksgiving Day. I know we've been doing this for over a year, but I'm not sure we aired one on Thanksgiving Day. And uh, what are your plans for the weekend, Elias? Do you guys get together, do the big? We do. Family, do you do it at your house, the in-laws' house? Where do you go? Uh, so we will go to my in-laws' house, and then you know this. I don't know if the listeners know this, but I'm kind of a, a wannabe barbecuer slash smoker person. Um, so I'm in charge of the turkey every year. I do a smoked turkey that I brine it for a couple days, and I let it sit in the fridge to um, – kind of air out and help get the uh, skin crispy and then I smoke it and everyone seems to like my recipe and it's usually a big hit which I think is good because how many Thanksgiving dinners do you go to and there's always plenty of leftover turkey well usually ours it gets it gets eaten up but it's because it's a good smoked turkey recipe it's unfortunate to hear that I was actually just going to ask you to bring me some to try you know make me a plate bring it to bring it to the office on Monday there's a little left I'll bring I'll bring it for you you know when you say that it reminds me about must have been five or six years ago um Doug Wagner did a Thanksgiving Day show and he uh you know he has like the morning show on WMT and he called me up they were doing recipes and he called me up because we were doing pizzas we did a non-traditional thanksgiving but we did like a thanksgiving pizza it was like stuffing and cranberry sauce and gravy as the there's gravy on there turkey it was really good but it just reminded me of that year that we we did the thanksgiving day pizzas at our house um well, Doug's the king of recipes, and he's got that cooking show he does on the weekend, too, which yeah, is he, pretty good. He he called me up and said, hey, I got to get this recipe, because he heard I was making pizzas. He's like, Thanksgiving pizza? You know, it's kind of like Capriati's in town. They have the Thanksgiving, like, sub sandwich. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had that. I don't, I don't care for it, but, um, yeah, we'll get together. We have a bigger gathering this year. We're going to my in-laws, and I don't know. There's, like, eight or nine grandkids, and it's going to be – complete chaos but i i always joke about this the thing that i look forward to most about thanksgiving you know what it is elias what there's no gift exchange no this is a trick question because i brought this up on previous episodes there's one favorite thing about thanksgiving there's one thing i look forward to every thanksgiving i don't remember the the gravy that's right do you remember the gravy episode fan yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) when grandma had the thanksgiving and didn't make the gravy. And you... Uh, I didn't care for that. How old were you when that happened? <laughs> like 25. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't like I was 15. Right. <laughs> but it was just kind of a big surprise. I'm like, Grandma, where's the gravy? Because when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of family, football, turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, and naps. That's it. That's right going to be there. the highlight of That's my Thanksgiving. Uh, but with that said, um, what's really crazy... How much do you think America spends on turkeys for Thanksgiving? I had no idea that we as a country spend this amount of money on turkeys. Well, and I had, yeah, so we have, what, three Thanksgiving financial facts here, and expected spending on turkeys is $927 million for Thanksgiving Day, and 88% of Americans plan to eat turkey on the holiday like that's almost every single person do you know this and maybe you do or maybe you don't do they actually 
when we settled America, did they actually eat turkey or is that just something that was created? Do we just create this billion dollar turkey holiday where all the turkey farmers in America just said, hey, let's get together, sell this idea that we need to eat turkey on Thanksgiving? I can't speak to that, but I hope there was a turkey at the first Thanksgiving. I hope so. Um, But I think about inflation. And it says we're expected to spend $927 million. I'm not sure how much turkeys have gone up in cost, but I, I heard some people talking like they're a lot more expensive than they are in years past. I know we always just go, we go to Nelson's here in town, um, and they have their their smoked turkeys that they do, or their turkeys that they do for Thanksgiving and pick it up in a big bag, and they, they cook it right on site. So I don't really know what the cost per pound of a turkey is, but I have to think there's more expensive than they have been in years past. They are. <clears throat> well, the statistic we found was turkeys are up like 18.4%. So the average turkey costs about $20.15. So I guess I would put year. that spending in line. If we spent seven eighty three last year and we spent 20% more, it's $927 million-ish dollars. Yeah, and then the other neat thing I saw here in the show notes, over the past 10 years, the swing in the price of turkey during Thanksgiving has been more volatile than the, than the change in inflation over the same period. So that's kind of interesting, but I guess if you think about how, I mean, turkey sales spike like through a specific season throughout the year. So, you know, with increased demand, the price should go up. So you know, every year around Thanksgiving, the price probably does go up. And I'm with you. I actually don't know what one costs. Uh, my wife's work, we get a free turkey from them every year. They give it out like two weeks before Thanksgiving. So I don't buy turkey either. I just get a free one, and then that's the one I make. Yeah, and I think for the cost of turkeys, the, the greatest time would have to be Thanksgiving through Christmas because I know a lot of people for Christmas that still do like a turkey dinner at Christmas. I don't know about your family, but my family always used to have turkey and ham on Christmas. Um, But I just thought those would be fun, kind of interesting facts to start with going into the turkey holiday. And uh, this morning I woke up a little early, and typically the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, Elias, I check my phone, and I kind of go through what's happening in the financial world. There's like four or five uh, publications that I like to read through early in the morning to get a feel for what's going on. And coincidentally enough... The very first article that came through on Think Advisor this morning was Harry Dent now has pushed his prediction to 2022 that the markets are going down 80%. That's according to Harry Dent. But the good news here is, Elias, everything will be okay by 2024. And it got me thinking. We talk a lot on the show about you know how to ignore these people and why you should ignore them. And I wanted to come up with a better reason for why to kind of tune these guys out and something I talked a lot about, I think it was last week. I had a bunch of reviews with some clients and I talked about a lot about what you can actually control because if we concentrate on our sphere of control and the things that we can control in our financial life, it'll help us become better investors. And what I mean by that is there's some things we can't control. I can't control or predict what the market's going to do. I can't control what inflation's going to do. I can't control, you know, what monetary policy is going to happen, right? So it puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage because we can't control it. What can we control, though? What are the things you like to talk to people about that they can actually control? So the things here, just a few basic things you can control. One, you can control 
how your money is invested. Like, and I'm talking as far as the allocation, you can decide how much equity or stock exposure you'd like to have compared to fixed income or um, in cash alternatives. And that, that should really be, you know, really based on probably a financial plan. So you can control your planning, your allocation. Um, you can control some tax strategies, right? You can't control the tax laws, but you can, within those laws, you can try to maximize certain things. Um, and I know that was a conversation we had this last week with the, with some clients, um, you know, they had some concerns just like everyone else. And, you know, some of the advice for them was, well, we should really be working in concert, you know, with you and a good CPA to let's, let's control some of these things. How do we get some of this money from a tax deferred account into a Roth account? And then how much should we be doing every year? Um, so those are some things you can control. And then I, I, this is something I say every time, so this might not be new or better advice, but you can control ignoring Harry Dent because um, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Arguably, you can't control that because he comes up in the news. So unless you read nothing, you can't control it, right? But I think well, you can read it. You don't have to. You don't have to make decisions based on his predictions. You're you're using your media filter then because you know yeah. what's going to happen. Um, I think that. Tax one's important because, and I fail to mention, we can't control what taxes are going to do. That's all legislated. Um, but there are a lot of changes happening, and we sometimes undervalue the relationship that a client could have with a CPA and an advisor that can work together. And I know most of my best clients utilize a CPA that I work very well with because we can exchange information and start to really not just lay out this basic financial plan, but for most clients that get to a certain level of wealth, it's not just about how they're going to survive retirement or how much money they're going to spend. It's what's our distribution strategy. And while advisors can come up with a distribution strategy that gets the money out effectively and creates a good stream of income for people, when you add a CPA that works in concert with the advisor and the client, it brings a different element to it because now you've added the tax planning strategy portion of it. You know, how do we make sure we're maximizing your tax bracket? If you're never gonna be under the 22% tax bracket, and we know that there's tax changes coming in 2025 that are reverting back to pre-Trump, there's planning you could be doing right now. You should be doing right now because the 22% bracket used to be 25. That's 3% more. Well, if somebody saves 3% in taxes, that's no different than making 3% in market returns. You want to know what the difference is? That pre, that 3% has no risk to it. The risk yeah, premium, a, yes. the, but the risk premium on that 3%, the risk premium on that 3% is that taxes would actually go lower from there, right? That's the only risk is that you convert some dollars to a Roth IRA. You take more out of your traditional IRA because you're in this 22% tax bracket. The only risk you have is that taxes go down. I think if you polled a hundred people, <laughs> I don't know what the number of people they think taxes are going down would be, but I'll bet it's less than five. I'm not going to say everybody's going to say that, but I'm going to guess less than five people are going to say taxes are going down in the future. It just mathematically, I don't know how, how it actually could go down. So 
working on the things you control, your tax strategy, you can control. You can control the team that you put together to help execute your financial strategy and get you the best outcome in, in the future. Because that's why you do a plan, right? A plan, and we're broad about it, right? We talk about a plan. Every plan's different and it can be a different plan. If you have a 35-year-old whose goal is to retire at 55, well, that's an accumulation plan, right? That's all we're worried mm -hmm. about is accumulation. But if I have a 58-year-old walk-in who's retiring in four years, we have a short period of time that it's an accumulation strategy, but more importantly, it becomes a distribution strategy. And I'll be honest, a lot of people come here for the first time when they need a distribution strategy. They, they don't understand how to get it out. I mean, let's be honest, getting in is pretty easy. You put a little bit of money in over a long period of time, you buy good investments, things will probably work out. But getting it out becomes more complicated and then you start adding in tax strategy, it becomes very, very complicated. Most people that think this is easy and they're gonna manage their own money in retirement, well, you might think so, but the question is, are you actually maximizing what you have? Because maximizing what you have in retirement isn't necessarily about the biggest stock market return. It's about having a strategy to get it out. And here, here's where people fail. If they don't have a distribution strategy and they do this themselves, and let's just say they worked at some employer in town and they bought themselves a target date retirement fund. Well, through the accumulation phase, they're probably okay. But what happens when they retire, they start taking out their $1,000 a month because that's how they put it in. So they think it works the same way. You know, they put it in a thousand at a time, take it out a thousand at a time. The market goes down 40%. Where are they going to get their investments from? Or where are they going to get their income from? It's coming um, yeah, from it's the investment that just went right. down 40%. Instead of having what we kind of call here, and that's the bucket approach, right? We have a sleeve of cash. Depending upon your situation, it could be anywhere from six months to three years. There's an income bucket that's designed to generate income and kick it off to that cash bucket. And then you have your growth bucket. And setting up a distribution plan like that does a couple of things for people. Number one, it helps them become less emotional about their investments, right? And here's why it does that. When the market goes down 40% and I have a cash bucket, an income bucket, and a growth bucket, what bucket was affected? The growth bucket. That's it. Right. Okay, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Client. Your, yeah, your I equity investments. Yeah. I still have one to three years of cash sitting here. Well, I don't know if you remember, but what's the average time it takes for a market to recover from you know, a correction? It's like 2.7 years. So there's a method behind the madness of why you have cash and income. You have to buy yourself time in those growth investments to get them back to where they were so we don't have to sell an investment lock in a loss. I don't know how many do-it-yourself investors would actually take this approach. I think most do-it-yourself do investors just have it in a bucket of money and say, I need $2,000 a month because that's what's easy. And they have no thought behind what happens when there's a market correction. Where am I going to get an extra 20000 if I need it? You know, we had a client in last week that has this exact thing going on. And he said, hey, I know that's a lot of cash, but I really like it because I don't have to worry about what happens when the market goes down? Well, right. And having, so like you're saying, all those things are 
in the sphere of control, right? So those are that those are planning things. Those are things you can do, and that's not. Uh, and if you don't, I guess if you're not proactive in that way, then you're just going to have to be reactive when an event does happen. And um, to answer your question on how many do-it-yourselfers really do that thorough of a job planning of all the do-it-yourselfers there's probably a small percentage that are really that thorough as far as their planning i know at least from conversations i've had there there's people out there that do it but honestly most people and especially like our wealthiest clients they don't they want to delegate that part of their life they don't want to spend their time figuring that out they want to spend their time doing the stuff they want to do and then they trust us to to help them do what's in their best interest and make sure they're executing these strategies that we think are in their best interest and good for them. I would guess most do-it-yourselfers that don't have a high level of sophistication when it comes to either tax strategy or putting your money in buckets or, or investments, they're probably getting a social security check. They have a nice pension and they're not really taking any money from their investments unless they're forced to do so. Right. I'm sure there's right. a faction of do-it-yourselfers that, you know, maybe this isn't that important because you have a $5,000 a month pension check and $2,500 from Social Security. Your wife has $2,500. Well, it's hard to mess it up unless you just vastly overspend. But for the person that accumulated, you know, a million, two, three million dollars and they don't have a pension, you have to turn that couple million bucks into a pension. And it becomes really important that you have this. Otherwise, you're not maximizing what you could have. So I just thought, based on last week's conversations I had with people, is if people would just take this focus of their sphere of control, instead of thinking about all the bad things that could happen, think about how you can control all the, what you can control around you. It'll make you, it'll put you at ease with what you're doing. Because you'll realize, if I can't control it, why am I worried about it? You know, I, I just so many, even in your personal life, if you can't control it, why are you worried about it? Just worry about what you can control. So that's going to be my message for Thanksgiving. Worry about what you can control. You can't control the outcome of that football game. No. So don't get too concerned about what happens. I know you want to talk about the greatest football play of the year, which, you know, I didn't well, see it, but I think it's debatable. But it's, tell us about the greatest football play of the year since Thanksgiving is probably one of the biggest football days of the year, right? Yeah, so I don't know if it's play of the year. I might have got a little excited there. But I think situationally, the play call, the play, and how it was executed, this it has to be one of the top plays. So anyone listening, go out there and look for the fake field goal punt. That's right, fake field goal punt that the Chiefs ran against Dallas Cowboys um, on Sunday and – Basically, field goal formation, snap it to the punter. It looks like it's going to be a fake field goal. And then he pooch punts it, and they down it inside the five-yard line. Um, Anyway, I couldn't believe my eyes when it actually happened because first I thought they were faking it, which I thought was really dumb. But then he punted it, so then I thought, okay, this is crazy. And then it worked. So just those off – it's kind of off-the-wall play, but, you know, they can – I guess – Andy Reid was thinking, what can I control here? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna fake him out. I'm going to call a play that gives us great probability to get in, to pin Dallas down, which field position, I'm guessing, to the coaching staff at that point, was the most important thing of the game. And then his team executed it. So I just thought that 
that was a beautiful a, a beautiful play. I really liked it. So, so. it kind of reminds me of early in the year when I told you the Hawkeyes' best player was a punter. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and he, not. He said that's the problem with the football <laughs> team. Although we are, what are we nine and two? Yeah, I mean, turned out to be a good season, but Hawks are still standing. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's just it's every year, and I don't know if you saw Tom Brands' rant the other day, but it was really funny because so it, at his press conference it was supposed to be out an upcoming wrestling meet. He went off about how this coach is going to USC and this coach is going to LSU and all these coaches are doing this and coach Ferentz just keeps beating all of them. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? You're right. That's in the Hawks. And he said, it, he said, he goes, the Hawks are still standing and they are, they're eight and two or nine and two now. And if they win 10 games, there's no way you can be an, a fan of Iowa football. The team wins 10 games and you be, be disappointed upset. with that. Like there's no disappointment in winning 10 football games. And Hey, let's be honest. Is it the best football to watch? No, but you know what they have no. figured out? They have figured out what they can control. They can control that they're one of the best special teams in the nation. Yeah. On special teams, they're punting, they're kick return, punt return. They're good. Like, that's what they control. They mm -hmm. control special teams. And, I mean, it's keeping us in games. It's winning us games. How many how many times did we watch our punter pin the other team inside the five-yard line? Oh, he's a great punt. He's a very good punter. But it's very just, effective. When you talked about the punt field goal kick, it just reminded me when I told you our punter was our best player. Um, yeah, which that's so just to bring a little more context to it, Iowa was ranked number two in the country. And then you made the comment to me that the punter is the best player, which <laughs> to me says, yeah, if your punter's your best player, you're probably not the number two team in the country. Um, but, um, well, hey, I read another article, um, CMB, or it's on MSN, personal finance, and it, this is actually something that if you're a young listener, so, you know, under, I don't know, let's call it 45. I want you to pay attention to this. But the article was, how many years does it take to max out a 401k to become a millionaire? Um, and forever, the gold standard in our industry has been, hey, if you have a million dollars, you can retire. And I'll be honest with you. I don't buy into that. I, I think some people need way more and some people need way less. Um, because we shouldn't be quantifying retirement success, success by how much you have, right? If we're retired, yeah. we're, we're saying, Hey, this is how much you need. Well, no one knows your individual circumstance. What about the teacher in Iowa who, you know, gets a $6,000 a month diapers check. Do they really yeah, need another million dollars on top of that? Well, maybe not because it, you have to quantify what the $6,000 a month is worth. But if you don't have a pension, and your goal is to become a millionaire. We read this article, maxing out your 401k. So for 2021, that was basically $1,625 a month if you're under age 50. Um, that's $19,500 per year. For 2022, $20,500 is the new limit. But at a 7% rate of return, now, I want everybody to realize 7% it's a static, meaning you're going to get, we're calculating 7% every single year. That's never going to happen in the market. You may average seven, but you're never getting seven every year. And this is where the Monte Carlo analysis that we run comes into play and helps people quantify, hey, this is the different outcomes. But just assume you get 7% a year. It would take 23 years to max out your 401k. So if you're 47 you could still hit a million dollars if you max out your 401k for the next 23 years. You might be 70, 
but you could still hit a million dollars. And 7% probably fairly conservative based upon past performance if you have an all 100% stock portfolio. Yeah, and so this is, if you look at this, this is just employee contributions. So that's what, for this year, under 50, the 19,500. And and this isn't factoring in the employer contribution. So if there's any, um, any sort of matching that's going on in most 401k plans, there is. Um, th these results would be better or you could get to a million faster, um, however you want to look at it. But even at, I was actually kind of surprised at this, but even at averaging a 5% annualized return, that's 26 years, 26 years to get to a million dollars. So it's really, you know, I guess it's a lot of people do it. A lot of people have done it. A lot of people will, uh, will continue to do it. Have you ever had the question? from anybody, how much can I take out of my portfolio when I retire? Oh yeah, all the time. What's your answer? For how much you can take out? Yeah. Well, what do you mean, like all at once or just take out over time or How what? much should I take out of my portfolio? I don't wanna run Like just in general? Yeah. Uh, well, I typically kind of subscribe to like the 4% withdrawal rate rule, but that's, Again, that can be adjusted a little bit depending on how the people want to invest and how much money they actually need. So, but for years, the answer's been four percent. Four percent's like your safe rule of thumb withdrawal rate, right? Is yep. that, that yeah. that's what it's been for years? And it was developed by a statistician who went back, and I think it was in the seventies or eighties, and he went back and said, "Hey, what are the returns over the last thirty years, and how much could I safely withdraw given the ups and downs in the markets?" and have a high probability of not outliving my money. Morningstar just released a new study on this and they say it's more like three and a half, three point three to three and a half percent. So it's gone down. Well, and yeah, and it makes sense because if that report was done thirty years ago, okay, what were interest rates? I mean, you're getting five historically cash, the money you have in your bank has yielded five percent historically. Five. Today, if I ask someone how much the bank's paying them, I mean, some people might tell me they're paying the bank. I mean, it's like point zero 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 something is what the bank's giving them. So if interest rates have come down and growth rates have remained the same, arguably, if investments are paying less income, the safe withdrawal rate has to come down too. Because part of that safe withdrawal rate of 4%, if you think about when that was done 30 years ago, 4%, well... Just go buy a bond fund and call it good. I mean, I get yeah. a yield on yield of 4% and call it good. But I thought that was really interesting. And what it got me thinking about was why in the world did you just use a rule of thumb? I think you hit the nail on the head. You're like, well, around four, but situational. No, it's 100% situational. It's 100% about building a plan to quantify how much you could take out. Because in, I'm going to use this example. If you're 73 years old, you can take out way more than three and a half percent because you're most likely because your life expectancy is 15 years. But if right. you're 55, you keep, probably can't sustain a six or seven percent withdrawal rate. And part of the article talks about this because it says, hey, look, the number could be different depending upon how long they're assuming 30 years. Well, if I'm 70 years old, I'm starting to draw from my portfolio. 
Why do I need a plane for 30? I might live to be 100. But, you know, at that stage of my life, two things are going to happen. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of money because there's not a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to spend all my money because I need full-time nursing home care. Right. So, right. The, And at that point, you can't even really control your spending rate anymore. You have to spend wherever you want to be in a nursing facility. You have to spend what they charge to be there. So right. it's really out of your control. But if you're not point. in a nursing facility, how many 90-year-olds do you know or 95-year-olds who are going out and spending 10000 a month that live on? They don't, they, they're if you're 95, point. your Social Security <sighs> check should be enough for your needs. Let, let, it, so it goes, I shouldn't say that, but I think you get what I'm saying. Well, and it kind of goes back to, hey, how do we – figure out what we can spend. And a little bit of it is, you know, remember I've talked about those three phases of retirement, the go-go stage, the slow-go phase, and the the no-go phase. Mm -hmm. And if you just go and use an arbitrary withdrawal rate, which is what a lot of people do. And if someone says, hey, how much can I take and not run out of money off the top of your head? Well, yeah. What do you default to? Three and a half percent. Right. Realistically, if we do that to people, and you're a 60-year-old retiree, and you say 3.5%, well, that might not be that great a retirement early on. If you're 60, how many good years of traveling and doing the fun stuff do you really have? Yeah, I mean, depending on your health, if you retire at 60, 15 in the ballpark Let's say 15, 15 maybe. Let's say 15, yeah. 75, right? I mean, my father-in-law is 74. They're still doing stuff, but they're starting to slow down. So mm-hmm. you, you have these phases. You have this go-go phase, this first phase of retirement where – You're probably still relatively healthy. Do all the things you want to do. You haven't been able to do them for the last 30 years, 35 years. Could be when working eight to five every day to figure out how to get there. And you say, hey, what can I take out? And I assume a three and a half percent static rate of return. Maybe you'd want to enjoy your money more in that first 15 years than have the same income in the last 15 years. Yeah. And. And I, I think we could make a very good argument for you probably can with good planning, have a higher distribution rate early on. And then I can make a very good argument that you, you should, I would tell people you should, because unless you're a money hoarder, just someone who wants to just never spend their money and have all this money to pass on to people, you save this so you could one day stop working, live off of it, and I hope have some fun too. I mean, how you, know, you ever talk to someone and they're like, oh, I'm bored in retirement. Well, start spending your money, get a hobby, do something. I wonder if a little bit of it is paralysis analysis. Oh, I'm be. not having fun because my financial advisor told me I can only spend 4% a year or I'm not having fun because I've never done anything, so I'm worried about running out of money. You know, with planning, it goes back to what you can control. We have a client. He was in here two weeks ago. Hey, can I take a $10,000 vacation every year? I said, probably not every year. I said, but for a lot of years you could. So what did we do? We went into his plan. He's 70. We went there and said, well, what if we did this for the next seven years? What happens to your plan? Totally fine. But if I add the 10000 in for the next 25, it doesn't work. The problem is that's not realistic. He's not taking a $10,000 vacation overseas for the next 25 years. Yeah. And 95, he's not going. So part of figuring out and getting people to this point to have some level of confidence is working on what you can control. Well, you can control how much you spend in retirement. It doesn't have to be the same amount, but that 
that Morningstar article got me thinking about how we plan for people. I know in the last two or three years, we've done way more of this where it's not just, hey, I'm going to spend 5000 a month. Really, it's okay. What are your basic needs? Right. How much do you have to spend? How much do you want to spend? And then the first 10 years of retirement, how much are you going to spend on travel and all the other fun stuff that you haven't even thought about? And most people don't. And a lot of people don't think about it because if you go to a lot of financial planners, hey, I'm going to spend 6000 a month. They put that in the computer and that's your probability of success. Well, they could schedule out and say, I want to spend 9000 for the first 15 years and 55000 for the last 15. It'll change the results of the plan. It's a more accurate reflection of what people can spend because they get locked into this arbitrary 3% or 4% number. Well, it'll probably work out, but maybe you won't enjoy your retirement as much as you should have. Maybe you didn't maximize it. Yeah, and I think enjoying the money, what, you know, a good saying I think sometimes for people is I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. So you got to remember that. You got to have fun and enjoy what you're doing too. Um, and to go along with that, the other thing we've done recently and the other thing we can solve in plans is like a maximum spending rate. You know, sometimes people have done such a good job saving and then what they actually need to make their life work, you know, their plans projected out, well, 99% probability. Well, then we, we can solve for like a maximum spending to give people an idea. Okay. If the, if we solve for this and it says you could spend an extra 20,000 a year, you know, there's a simple answer for what, what could you spend annually on a vacation or a few vacations or something. Um, but again, you have to, you have to be intentional about it. Like just guessing and not knowing maybe, uh, you're probably right. People, maybe that don't, they have analysis by paralysis or they're in a holding pattern for too long and they don't make a decision. Um, you know, a lot of that, if that's where you're at, you're probably better off just go have a meeting with somebody, figure out, can you delegate this part of your life and, um, you know, and just enjoy it. Well, I'll tell you what, I want to thank everybody for listening. I know that I'm going to enjoy today because it's Turkey Day. I look forward to the football and, more importantly, the gravy. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If uh, you need help with a financial plan, if you want to contact one of our planners, you can go to our website at btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to help you. Elias, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. Um, I know I'm going to overeat and have a great day, so... I hope you do too. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Elias. I'm looking forward to the leftovers. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.